Travels by Broomstick comes to you from South Wales, the land of the dragon. Oh, and sheep. We got lots of sheep. Welcome to all you good people out there in podcast land. So let's get the broomstick out the garage and off we go. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder, treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes, Guy Fawkes, twas his intent to blow up the king and parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence, he was catched with a dark lantern and a burning match. Holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. Guy Fawkes is remembered every year throughout England, Wales and Scotland. Branded one of the greatest villains of all time for a plot that he didn't lead and a crime that he didn't actually commit. Guy Fawkes has become the face of the gunpowder plot, but he wasn't the instigator. Some might say that he was the last person to enter Parliament with honest intentions. So in today's Bonfire Night special, we will learn more about Guy Fawkes and who he was, and why we burn his effigy every November the 5th. It's going to be an explosive episode. Today's journey takes us to the Houses of Parliament in London, which is the capital of the United Kingdom. Guy Fawkes was born in Stonegate in York on April the 13th, 1570. His mother Edith came from a Catholic family and his father Edward came from a Protestant family. Guy Fawkes was baptised in the Church of St Michael le Belfry, an Anglican church in York that is situated directly opposite York Minster in the centre of the city. When Guy Fawkes was just eight years old, his father died and his mother went on to remarry a Catholic gentleman named Dennis Bainbridge. Guy went to school in St Peter's in York. His fellow students included John Wright and his brother Christopher Wright, who both became conspirators in the gunpowder plot. In 1592, after converting to Catholicism, Guy Fawkes went to the Low Countries, to the Dutch-speaking northern portion of Belgium, called Flanders. He fought for the Spanish army against the Protestant Dutch for more than a decade in the Eighty Years' War, also known as the Dutch Revolt. He even changed his name from Guy to the Spanish style Guido. Spain at this time was seen as the protector of the Catholic faith. It was during his military service that Guy Fawkes learned how to ignite gunpowder. This expertise was to shape his destiny. Guy Fawkes saw himself as a crusader, fighting not for a country but for his God. He was a staunch Catholic believing totally in the justice of his cause, and this conviction endured until the day of his death. Guy Fawkes joined Sir William Stanley, an English Catholic and veteran commander who had served Queen Elizabeth I's army under the Earl of Leicester. Stanley and his troops switched sides to serve Spain following his surrender to the Spanish in Deventer. Guy became a junior officer and in 1603 he had been recommended for captaincy after fighting well in the Siege of Calais. A fellow soldier, the veteran Welshman Hugh Owen, introduced Guy Fawkes to Thomas Winter, 
who took him to London in 1604 to meet the charismatic leader of the gunpowder plot, Robert Catesby. Robert Catesby was a handsome and charismatic gentleman. He was a born leader and inspired people to follow him. He was an activist who had supported the Earl of Essex attempt to overthrow Queen Elizabeth in 1601. The religious divide in England between the Catholics and Protestants was an incredibly turbulent time. Stemming from the Reformation and the rise of Protestantism together with Henry VIII's celebrated break from Rome, Queen Mary I attempted to restore the true faith of Catholicism as the nation's religion with her marriage to the Catholic Philip of Spain. But the devoted Catholic Queen, also known as Bloody Mary, was one of the most despised monarchs of England, as during her six-year reign she executed many Protestants purely due to their religious beliefs. The arrival of King James I on the throne in 1603 raised the Catholic hopes, for his mother Mary Queen of Scots was Catholic. His wife Anne of Denmark was also converted to Catholicism, and it is rumoured that he was going to do the same. A recusant Catholic man named Thomas Percy, who was a cousin of Henry Percy, the Earl of Northumberland, was able to request an audience with the King. Thomas Percy asked King James I what his feelings were regarding Catholic toleration. Wanting to gain popularity with his new English subjects, James I was vague in his answers, and he didn't make any promises, telling Thomas Percy, that he personally did not have anything against Catholics, so not to worry himself over the matter. Thomas Percy returned from this meeting feeling incredibly hopeful, but this was short-lived, as in 1604, James I attacked the Roman Catholic doctrines and at the new parliament that year, there was no mention of the Catholic toleration. In fact, new anti-Catholic legislation was introduced with the reintroduction of fines, for recusants, these are Catholics that refuse to conform and convert to the Protestant faith and attend Protestant church services. Jesuits and Catholic missionary orders were exiled and told to leave the country. Under the rule of James I, Catholics were marginalised, despised and persecuted. In our Salmsbury Hall episode, we covered the secret rooms that were made in many affluent homes for Catholic priests called Jesuits, known as priest holes and the horrific punishment that befell Nicholas Owen, the creator of the priest holes. Nicholas was tortured to death in the Tower of London after his arrest in 1606. We also mentioned in the Salmsbury Hall episode and the Pendle Witch Trials episode that in 1612 the witches were not indeed attending a witch's Sabbath, but instead were practicing Catholicism and the secret Sabbath meeting held on Good Friday was actually a secret Catholic mass that was illegal at the time. Robert Catesby realised that King James I needed to be removed from the throne and that the 1604 treaty that ended the war between England and Spain meant that Spain would no longer support an armed Catholic uprising to overthrow the king and his government. The plan was set into motion as the first meeting of the five central conspirators took place. These conspirators were Robert Catesby, Thomas Winter, Thomas Percy, John Wright and Guy Fawkes. It was Sunday the 20th of May 1604 in an inn called the Duck and Drake in London where Catesby explained his plan. Gunpowder would be placed in a tunnel dug beneath the Palace of Westminster to await the opening Parliament. 
Guy Fawkes as the only conspirator with knowledge of explosives would hide there and, on the king's arrival in the chamber above, light the fuse to ignite the powder, a fuse slow-burning enough to allow him to escape to the nearby River Thames. With king and parliament wiped out, an armed revolt would begin in the Midlands. Foreign Catholic reinforcements were also expected. The king's young daughter, Princess Elizabeth, who lived near Warwick, would be kidnapped and placed on the throne as a puppet ruler of a kingdom restored to Catholicism. But hearing this, Thomas Winter was absolutely appalled, fearing that if they failed, they would suffer terrible retribution. Robert Catesby used his persuasive charm, and Thomas Winter was reassured. Others provided to be more enthusiastic. Shall we always, gentlemen, talk and never do anything? exclaimed Thomas Percy. At first, it seemed to go smoothly. The gunpowder was bought from the docks and transported upriver to a house in Lambeth. Thomas Percy was a gentleman pensioner, a bodyguard to the British monarch, part of the Honourable Corps of Gentlemen at Arms, meaning that he had the right to live near the Palace of Westminster, so he leased a cottage in that area. Guy Fawkes posed as Thomas Percy's footman, under the alias of John Johnson. The plan was to tunnel from the cottage to the palace. Work began in haste, until an outbreak of the plague in the winter of 1604. This caused the reopening of Parliament to be postponed until the 5th of November 1605. Although this extra time meant more time for preparations and planning, more time to penetrate the medieval walls of Westminster, and more time to consider fully the implications of this scheme. A considerable number of innocent victims would die. The king's wife and children, Roman Catholic peers such as Lord Monteagle, and sympathisers such as Thomas Percy's employer, the Earl of Northumberland. The extra time also meant that the risk of the plotter's discovery was getting greater by the day. A shortage of money meant that more recruits were needed to fund the conspiracy. These new recruits were Christopher Wright, Robert Keyes, Thomas Bates, Robert Winter, John Grant, Ambrose Rookwood, Sir Everard Digby and Francis Tresham, making the number of conspirators in the gunpowder plot a rather ominous 13. And it seemed that their luck was indeed running out. Unbeknown to them, their fears of being discovered had already been realised. As the thick walls of Westminster threatened to defeat them, a cellar directly beneath Parliament fortuitously became available. Thomas Percy rented it out, claiming it was for the Earl of Northumberland to store his firewood for the winter. But then, on the 26th of October 1605, with the opening of Parliament now imminent, a curious incident occurred. Under the cover of darkness, a stranger accosted Lord Monteagle's servant, Thomas Ward, and thrust a letter into his hands. This letter read, I have care for your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this Parliament. For though there be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow. Monteagle promptly took the letter to the Earl of Salisbury, Robert Cecil. Monteagle's servant informed Robert Catesby about the letter, and he immediately suspected Francis Tresham, as Lord Monteagle was the brother-in-law of Francis Tresham. 
and angrily confronted him, but Francis Tresham was able to persuade Robert Catesby of his innocence. The servant Thomas Ward had connections with Yorkshire Catholics, including John and Christopher Wright. Yet how did he know that Robert Catesby was the leader of this gunpowder plot? Had Robert Catesby tried to recruit one too many conspirators? Did Monteagle himself fake the letter in order to avoid suspicion of his own involvement in the plot and ingratiate himself with Salisbury? Did Salisbury himself write the letter? Nobody knows. But what is certain is that this letter sealed the fate of the conspirators of the gunpowder plot. Lord Monteagle delivered the letter to Robert Cecil, Earl of Salisbury who was a spymaster and secretary of state to King James. He had been Queen Elizabeth I's chief minister, had masterminded James' succession to the English throne, working to achieve a smooth and peaceful transition. Elizabeth had nicknamed the councillor her little dwarf, small of stature, hunchbacked and determined to defend England's Protestant faith. Salisbury was a workaholic who had a very sharp mind, was utterly ruthless and viewed warily by most of his colleagues. He knew that he could orchestrate events with his customary masterly precision. So, he ordered a search of the Parliament cellars. The other plotters begged Robert Catesby to postpone or even abort the gunpowder plot. But Catesby was focused on executing his plan and refused to heed any caution. The gunpowder plot had become his obsession and was to be completed against all odds and at any cost. Meanwhile, Sir Everard Digby, Robert Winter, along with some of the other conspirators, started to try and organise the uprising in the Midlands, gathering additional horses, arms and ammunition. In the thick November fog, Catesby and the other conspirators, including Thomas Percy and Thomas Winter, crept around in the dark London alleyways, watching and waiting. Guy Fawkes made his way to the cellar below the House of Lords, waiting for the moment when he could light the gunpowder train and escape down the River Thames as the Houses of Parliament was blown to kingdom come. But unfortunately for Guy Fawkes, Sir Thomas Never, to Justice of the Peace of Westminster, led a group of yeomen of the guard to search the cellars. There they found Guy Fawkes, a very tall and desperate fellow, clad in a swirling cloak and tall hat, lurking below the House of Lords with a lantern, a watch, a slow-burning match with touchwood and 36 barrels of gunpowder all around him. He was immediately arrested and taken for questioning. He gave a false name of John Johnson. The gunpowder plot had failed. Fawkes admitted his intention to blow up the Houses of Parliament and expressed regret at his failure to do so. His steadfast manner earned him admiration from King James I, who described Guy Fawkes as possessing a Roman resolution. But his admiration did not prevent Guy Fawkes from being tortured to reveal the names of his co-conspirators. He was suspended in manacles and tortured on the rack. Fawkes was sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered, where he is hanged by the neck, cut down while still alive, his entrails torn out of his body, and then his body hacked into four bloody pieces before being displayed. 
However, at his execution on the 31st of January, he died when his neck was broken as he was hanged. His lifeless body was nevertheless quartered and his body parts were then distributed to the four corners of the kingdom to be displayed as a warning to other would-be traitors. With a much diminished group of followers, Catesby made a last stand at Holbeck House in Staffordshire against a 200-strong sheriff's posse led by Richard Walsh. Catesby was mortally wounded by gunfire and later found dead inside Holbeck Hall while contemplating a holy card of the Virgin Mary. As a warning to other potential regicides, Catesby's body was re-exhumed and posthumously executed, and his severed head was put on a spike and was displayed outside the Houses of Parliament. The Wright brothers and Thomas Percy were all shot and killed. Winter, Rookwood and Grant were captured, and other arrests followed. Francis Tresham was captured and brought to the Tower of London. However, he was ill and died before he could be brought to trial. A wave of anti-Catholic feeling swept across England, and for a long time, the 5th of November was the signal for anti-Catholic riots. Repressive laws followed. Catholics were banned from the legal profession and from any form of government service, including becoming officers in the armed services. Many of these restrictions lasted well into the 19th century, and even today, a monarch cannot be Catholic or marry into that faith. The legacy of Guy Fawkes lingers into the 21st century. 400 years after his abortive attempt to blow up the Houses of Parliament, he remains one of the best known of the nation's historical figures. Each year before the state opening of Parliament, the cellars under the Palace of Westminster are searched by the Yeoman of the Guard. Today, this is largely a ceremonial event. The first bonfires to celebrate the capture of Guy Fawkes were lit shortly after the discovery of the plot in 1605. Four centuries later, the 5th of November is still known as Bonfire Night throughout the nation and is often accompanied by a ceremonial burning effigy of Guy Fawkes. This tradition even crossed the Atlantic to America as Pope Day, when the burning of the effigy of the Pope together with unpopular politicians, also take place on the 5th of November, mainly in former British colonies on the eastern seaboard. So the question remains, how many stars do you give Guy Fawkes' gunpowder plot? Well, I'm going to give him half a star, or half a broom, because it bloody failed, didn't it? <laughs> he tried, he failed, bless him. What is your favourite thing about Bonfire Night? Hot dogs. Yeah, I like the hot dogs too. And burgers. You had burgers? I never had burgers. My nan always made hot dogs, which is absolutely lovely. The smell of onions in the air on bonfire night is amazing. And toffee apples. Love a toffee. I have to have a toffee apple every November the 5th. I like the fireworks as well. What I did as a kid. Yeah, I'm not so keen on fireworks now because of obviously our dogs. Um, not that they particularly mind them, but yeah, I, I'm often scared of the fireworks actually, although they are beautiful, watch from a distance. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen the film V for Vendetta? I have. I like Stephen Fry in that one. Stephen Fry was good in it. Yeah, I love Hugo Weaving and also Natalie Portman was amazing in it. Um, do you think that Guy Fawkes, like the mask from V for Vendetta, is now a symbol of anarchy? Well, the Guy Fawkes mask is the face of Anonymous. Yeah, and according to the historian Lewis Cole, Fawkes is now a major icon in modern political culture whose face has become 
a potentially powerful instrument for the articulation of postmodern anarchism in the late 20th century. Fawkes is regarded by some as a martyr, political rebel or freedom fighter, especially amongst the minority of Catholics in the United Kingdom. Well, that concludes our special November the 5th Bonfire Night episode. I hope you've all had a magical time. Where's my toffee apple? I nearly told you then. <laughs> <laughs>